0: This is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken and this is Crime and Stuff. And this is our is this our twenty fifth episode? I think so. Our silver episode. Is it? I think it's our twenty fifth It is, you're right. Yeah, wow. We should have done something. Well we have pancakes. Yes, I made pancakes and And bacon. Well you made well the bacon. The bacon at Cumberland Farms or Oscar Meyer made the bacon. I just picked it up at Cumberland Farms on my way over. Yes. 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 And we may have a special guest today. Oh, besides my kitty cat? Yeah, Because we're at my house. Because mom is stopping over on her walk to say hi. Oh, one update. I have one update. Okay. Episode 11 about the New Hampshire serial killer known as Bob Evans, among other people. And one of the aspects of that was they managed to solve a cold case in New Hampshire. These bodies, a woman and three children were found in these barrels in the woods in the 80s, and it was just such a mystery they could never solve. And DNA, it's a very complicated story, and you'd have to go back and listen to the episode. Or you can read, I'm going to put on our More Stuff page with the other stuff from that episode, a story that was in Sunday's Boston Globe, by Shelley Murphy, a really good reporter, that explains the whole way that the DNA of this woman who had disappeared as a baby from Manchester, New Hampshire, and her trying to find out who she was ended up leading to... Wow. I haven't those. read it yet. Yeah, it's it. really good because it was necessarily overly simplified in January when the... Um, Law enforcement authorities first came out with all this big news, and well, this story, so very stuff. nice feature yeah. story, really explains it oh. well. It's very interesting. Yeah, I look forward to reading it. Yeah, so I just want to say that that'll be on the more stuff page on Crime and Stuff Online. Oh, there's oh, here. mom. Mom, hi. That's our mom. How's your walk? Good. Took 15 minutes well, Did you get here. Yes. Do you have? <laughs> do you have the stuff? She's bringing me drugs. It's a drug deal. Bye. Leave. Okay, Bye. thank you, Mom. <laughs> this week I was going to do there was a story in the news, a local story about a woman that had pretended to have cancer and she was arrested for fraud because, she, or theft by deception because people raise money for her right. cancer. And so I was thinking of doing a story about that, not about her specifically, but about people that do that. And I went online to do some research, and there are literally thousands. That's sad. Thousands and thousands. And I think the crowdfunding now has made it worse. Yes, that's sad. And there are, I mean, there are two different types. There are people that do it for, for instance, I worked with somebody that, Lied about having cancer. Wow. Uh, he said he had leukemia. It was one of those things, too, where people are like, oh, don't tell anyone. But he doesn't really want people to know, but he's sick. And hmm. so he wasn't sick. He did have problems. He apparently had an eating disorder, and he was very skinny. So it made it easy to for him to pretend that he was sick. And so maybe he said that he was sick to kind of cover for that. I'm not really sure. He never tried to raise any money or anything. So maybe he just wanted the attention that comes with it. Or... Or want like to cover he, up his eating disorder by yeah. saying he had something and else. And also, it made him easy to take time off work anytime he wanted. Oh, yeah. There's like idea. that. So, I don't know, but I've seen him. That was a probably about eight or nine well, years ago. I've seen him since. Seems okay. The one okay. thing about the main one is the way it all... Her friends started suspecting, for whatever reason, that she was lying. One of them, Well, she had a roommate. Who, right. And one of them called her dad about it and that her dad's like she doesn't have cancer but what's her dad said something like i don't want to be uh, i don't want to be part of whatever whatever she's she's up to now or something like that part of it it, that i found almost a little exploitive was so her friends with the help of i think a mental health professional and stuff had this two-hour intervention yeah well on channel six they say 20 minute in the newspaper they say two hour and i tend to believe the newspaper over channel six where they forced her to admit And they taped it. And they and they recorded it. So of course the recording or parts of it got played on T V and I felt that was a little uh, I didn't see that. I read the paper. They didn't show they only play the audio, not the video. Oh, I avoid the T V news now, not because of local news but But my feeling was oh, there was a nervous. private recording. Yeah. I don't know that she knew it was being taped in I mean, you can legally tape without Ooh, the other person knowing you're, you're doing it. But I don't know if she knew it was, and it's—it's. It's, I think it's kind of ethically well, squishy, yeah, especially when weird. they're only doing it. Well, the it thing to... about those kind of stories too is not the money ones aren't the people that are doing it for money. ...are bad enough, but the people that are doing it for attention, it just is so... Sad. Sad, and it's hu- it seems like such a humiliating thing to be found out, and of course you're going to well, be found out sooner or similar later. similar to people who lie, like Brian Williams lying. Uh, I know. It's, or it people makes who lie, Brian Dennehy lying about being a, a Vietnam combat veteran. Yes and that type of thing and it's it's embarrassing i would think to be caught i think it's so trying to puff because yourself up. i mean we've all probably lied about stuff probably when we're younger more than you know when you're kids but, uh, like, being found out in such a public way is so humiliating. Yes. So, anyways, I was so just... So, we didn't do that. I didn't do that because I was so depressed. Well... But for some reason, and I... And so, but then you found one that cheered you up and made you feel good. Yeah, not really. And it really. makes me smile to know what it is, even though I don't know yes. all the details. Although, your... it's not really a che- Don't... Don't... Now, people are going to think we're ghoulish. It's... No, I did... Decided to do the murder of Lana Clarkson. Well, let's not say we're ghoulish, but, obviously, we have a podcast where we talk about horrific things happening to yes. people. Yes. And what is our end game in doing that? I don't know. Right. So we do, on some level, enjoy these stories. I'm just going to say it. I'm I do. Say, I a lot of a people mom, do. So you may not. No, but, uh, a lot <laughs> of people do enjoy them. And obviously. That's why true crime is so popular. But anyway. I think we're all just fascinated by things. Part of it is the fact that we would never do something like that. I think to people who wouldn't do that kind of thing, it's just the fascination of somebody that why would someone do that? Why would, yes. you know? Human behavior. That's why. Yes. That's why I think mystery novels are so interesting. You know, the big thing people always say is, oh, because it ties everything up and makes sense of something. And that's why people like mystery novels. I think it's because it's a study of human behavior. Who would kill somebody? Why would they do it? And in mystery novels, it's not just some obvious thing where some stupid dipshit does something stupid. Or if it is, it's all covered up and stuff. So the finding out. Right. So anyways, well, this isn't much of a mystery. (laughs) So. <laughs> but it's a good story So the, the victim is Lana Clarkson And if you don't know her name You probably know the murderer Who was Phil Spector And I talk about him So let me just go into my story I'm gonna like sit back Because my yes. back hurts But you don't have don't turn and look at me Because your voice face I won't like look at you I try not to Don't look at me You can just be like Uncle Jimmy in the background yeah. yeah And again God yeah If you don't know who he is Listen to Shit Town you won't be disappointed. Not that he's a big deal in it, but see, you're turning to look at me. I know. Okay. Talk to the audience. At about five a.m. February third, two thousand and three, police in Alhambra, California. And Alhambra is like a Alhambra is a uh, <laughs> sorry, suburb gonna... of L.A. I guess not. It's not. L.A. has so many. Suburbs. It must be near Beverly Hills though, because it's also sometimes talked Where about rich Beverly Hills. Live. Well, yeah, but. I'm going off on a tangent. The mansion I'm talking about doesn't look like it's in a great neighborhood now. I saw an aerial view of it. So anyways, let me start again. I'm listening. About 5 a.m. February 3rd, 2003, police in Alhambra, California answered a 911 call that had come from the home of Phil Spector, the mansion called the Pyrenees Castle. The call came from Spector's driver, Adriano D'Souza. According to D'Souza, Specter had a gun in his hand and said, I think I killed somebody. (laughs) The person who was slumped inside in a chair, dead of a gunshot wound, chin shot off, teeth scattered, was sometime actress Lana Clarkson, who also worked as a hostess at the House of Blues on the Sunset Strip. Clarkson was a 40-year-old native of California, born in Long Beach on April 5, 1962. She had a brother and a sister, and for part of their childhood, they were raised in Sonoma County. After her father's death in 1978, they returned to the Southern California area. As a tall, almost six feet, blonde, beautiful woman, she, of course, went into the entertainment business. Of course. While well, she lived in L.A. It's either or play basketball. She had bit parts or extra parts in Scarface and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And Roger Corman cast her in a few of his films. And Roger Corman, like... Did a lot of films with i don't know kind of he actually did Tommy, oh did he, yes, but he did like busty he always had busty women doing <laughs> stuff and, like well like women in violence that's probably every man's fantasy he, if he can have busty women do stuff he's gonna have busty women um do anyways, stuff. so he cast her in a few of his films, including Death stalker and mm. Barbarian Queen, mm. She developed a cult following and was popular at comic book conventions. She did commercials and guest spots on TV, such as Night Court, Three's Company, and Wings. So you kind of know what kind of era that was, (laughs) 70s and 80s. She never became truly famous, and much has been made about her failure, air quotes, As an actress, but on her website, Clarkson seemed optimistic about her career, saying, I've been blessed to work in an extremely difficult industry, but in my opinion, have not even begun to reach my full potential. I've been pounding my head against a plexiglass ceiling, trying to break through to a completely different level for a while now. God willing, this is the year it will happen. Keep your eye out for a new quality of work from Ms. Clarkson. Mm. She did make a living acting, but also said, I've always been fortunate to make a living as an actress. However, I have done other jobs to supplement my taste for producing, writing, and directing. I've worked as a stand-up comic, a model, a producer, a travel agent, done trade shows, worked for a jewelry company, and teach image enhancement workshops for the corporate world. I also occasionally teach acting. I watched what I could of her on YouTube because in my reading, I have found there to be a lot of condescending and dismissive shit written about her. And Go it figure. was fucking annoying. Yeah. I didn't find her acting to be that bad. I saw a clip of her on Love Boat. She seemed fine. You know, if, I've seen a lot worse. Put it that I way. I almost she was felt like on Love Actors. Boat. I almost felt like on Love Boat they were directed to act campy, kind of, and, uh, you yeah. know. Well, she wasn't exactly given the best material to work with. She had a promotional video that she made herself called Lana Unleashed, but I couldn't find the full video. She apparently does a bunch of different characters trying to show her range of acting. Unfortunately, the only clip that I found is one of her doing a Little Richard impersonation. Little Richard is a QVC spokesman and it's kind of insensitive she's in blackface plus it's not really hard to do (laughs) kind of insensitive she's in blackface it's kind of insensitive well i mean if you're doing little richard you kind of have to have dark makeup on no you don't i know you can just act like well that's why it's i mean it it isn't i don't i don't want to i know let's i don't think she was trying it it was the kind of kind of racism that isn't trying to be racist but you are you're being you ignorance. ignorance um which is just as bad it's not hard to do an impression of little richard either because no. he's so out there like he's he's I so know. animated yeah but that was the only thing i could find of her but she, there are other things and they played it in court apparently and Phil mm-hmm. Spector's wife snorted and laughed her, and the judge admonished her but she was uh. admonished many times so let's talk about the killer what? Phil Spector. Most of our listeners should know the name, if not the resume, and know he is not related to singer-songwriter Regina Spector. Well, maybe <laughs> if you go way back in the family tree, because Phil's father did spell his surname the same way as she with does. With a K instead with a K, And was from Russia, as is Regina, and that's about all I know about her. Phil was born Harvey Philip Spector on December 26, either 1939 or 1940, depending on the source, in the Bronx, New York. His dad killed himself, a uh, carbon monoxide hose in the car thingy, when Phil was nine. Mm-mm. Four years later, his mother moved the family to Los Angeles, where she worked as a seamstress. Mm. Phil was musically talented. At a young age, she was able to play the guitar by ear. He attended Fairfax High School, where he hung out with other future musicians like Lou Adler, Bruce Johnston of the Beach Boys, Sandy Nelson, who was a drummer, Uh, He had a band in high school, the Teddy Bears, and recorded a song, Don't You Worry My Little Pet, (laughs) that he wrote. The song got him signed with Era Records, where the Teddy Bears eventually recorded his first Billboard number 1 hit, To Know Him Is To Love Him. The inspiration came from the epitaph on his father's gravestone. Wow, no, I didn't realize that. That song, I feel like is... To know, 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 know him. him is to love. Hey. But I never realized it came from his father's epitaph. I find that fascinating. I'm glad. Phil went on to a prolific career, and I don't have time to enumerate his accomplishments here, but here are some of the songs he produced, just some of them. Be My Baby, The Ronettes, Spanish Harlem, Benny King. He's I love rebel. The Ronettes. Yes. He's a Rebel, The Crystals, You've Lost That Love and Feeling, The Righteous Brothers. I love that one. River Deep, Mountain High, Tina Turner, The Beatles album, Let It Be, the production of which pissed off Paul McCartney so much, he released a naked version of it in 2003, which I admit, I've never listened to. I kind of like Phil Spector's Yeah, what Paul did Paul like? Because he wasn't there. It was when they were going through all their shit, uh... and John Lennon and George Harrison had Phil Spector come in and produce it and Paul had I think Paul did a lot of the production before and he had specific ideas of what he wanted and of course Phil Spector did what he wanted and Paul did not like it. John Lennon and George Harrison really liked Phil Spector and had him produce some of their solo albums uh, like Concert for Bangladesh and the songs that you would know you know the general public would know would be My Sweet Lord and What Is Life which I like. I love it's like. Happy Christmas War is over, John Lennon, Yoko Ono. And Yoko Ono had him, her solo album after John Lennon's death. Phil Spector produced that. He did lots and lots and lots, put it that way. By the time he was 21, he was a millionaire. Because when he did his. Wow, 21? Yeah. Wow. When he, he. Well, he was in high school when That's the right. Teddy Bears. He had a vision of what he wanted to do. It almost didn't matter who the musicians were, they were interchangeable. When you heard songs like with the girl groups on the radio, the Crystals, the Ronettes. He would just get a singer to do it, and he'd do what he wanted to do. So I really just... like the Phil Spector Christmas album. Yes, yes. I love one of my all-time favorite Christmas songs is Darlene Love's version of Baby Please Come ba- Home. Yeah, yeah I love Baby, her, her version. That's the only one I Better really like. Better than Bono's. And and you know who else did it? The Hansons or Hanson the Hanson, Hanson brothers. Hanson. Those, those they young call themselves boys. Hanson. Maybe they're older they were, now. They, they were, were little kids. Ill. They were we cute though. Were yeah. Not Hanson. yeah, Hanson. I think of the I think of the Hansons and um Slapshot. Yeah. Slap shot. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway. if you don't know anything about Phil Spector, you should look him up. He was undoubtedly a talented man. He layered sound and instruments into a dense composition that was called the wall of sound, which he did not make up. He likened it to the Wagner approach to rock and roll. Many, many musicians were influenced by his work and many clamored to work with him, including Bruce Springsteen liked mm. him, apparently born to run the way he recorded that was based on the wall of sound. If you listen to it, you can kind of tell. He was also controlling and a perfectionist. Which, You'd have to be, I think. Which can sometimes be good in art, but not always, but most often not good in real life. He was also extremely insecure. Mm. He loved guns. Mm. His fascination... Oh, those are all bad combinations. His fascination began early in life. He was a small guy and suffered from being bullied. And I think he was chubby when he was younger. And then he lost weight when he was like a real skinny. He's very short and skinny. In fact, in the uh one show I saw, someone referred to him as a mini man. <laughs> <laughs> and one interview, former Ronette Nedra Ross says that she had seen people give him shit all the time, and it was no fault of his. She said he just people would just give him shit, like what, because he was little and annoying. And, yeah, I think so. I guess some people bring it out and bullies. I don't know. He drew his gun often, and later he would have bodyguards <laughs> with him. I shouldn't laugh at that. In one of the recording sessions with John Lennon, Phil felt no one was listening to him, so he took his gun out and shot at the ceiling. Lennon reportedly said something like, shoot me if you want, but don't mess up my hearing, because the bullet went like right past uh-huh. his ear. <laughs> Poor John. Yeah. Well, oh, oh that's that he right. Died he did get he was shot. shot. That's right. I didn't even think by of Phil that. Not Phil Spector, but, I know. didn't even think of that. Maybe what's his name was trying not to... What was his name? Mark David Chapman. Oh, yeah. The shooter. Yeah. Maybe he was. He didn't want to hurt his hearing. So. Yeah, so he shot him and <laughs> Sorry, side. that's horrible. I know. In 1975, he was in two car accidents, which made him even more paranoid and made him stop driving and hire a driver. At least he could afford a driver. Yeah. A People magazine article from that time tells about a typical night. So now I'm going to be reading this thing. Okay. An evening with Spectre begins at this mansion down a private road in Beverly Hills. Inside the door is a huge and staring poster of Specter's face. Oh. Upstairs, his three adopted kids, their custody recently won from Ronnie the Ronette and a messy divorce proceeding, are sleeping or Can trying I just, to. I just want to say. Well, Kids being described as adopted. Um, first reference always bugs me because they're his kids, and you can say later that they were adopted. That always bugs me. Like people make this distinction. Yes. Although somebody, this was seventy-five, so this was I know, but 40 people still ago. do it now. I'm I know. Upstairs, his three adopted kids are sleeping or trying to, since the mansion's elaborate stereo system is at full blare. Inter- Thanks, Dad. Interspersed with lewd drawings of Nixon on the walls are wanted posters of the Watergate gang. Though Phil beams as he explains that until recently Chuck Colson was his personal lawyer, and don't worry, I'll explain who he is. Thank you. And that every I knew you it's were. like in, you can read my mind. And that every room in the mansion is bugged and taped. Specter intimates that Colson devised the system and urged its installation. The house has 20-foot gabled ceilings, sunken rooms, a grand piano, and mirrors everywhere. He. Constantly examines himself and asks, how do I look? Okay, really? He still has a small scar under one eye that he wants plastic surgeons to conceal. I'm scared as hell, he says of hospitals, but I got the best doctors in the whole world. The evening's travels begin. Spector, the bodyguard, and a few friends climb into Phil's new Cadillac and then switch to a Volvo when he announces, I don't like this car. Everybody get out. He (laughs) suddenly brays at his secretary cum security blanket. Jane, where's my karate bag? (laughs) It contains a couple of revolvers, police badges, a hand mirror and hairspray. Inspector (laughs) goes nowhere without it. (laughs) That's the end of the What a combination. (laughs) There are some references in that passage that our younger listeners won't get. But I hope you learned about Watergate in history class. (laughs) Chuck Colson was Nixon's hatchet man. He was the special counsel to Nixon and was the first of the Watergate cooks to go to jail. He only went for like seven or eight months. Yeah. So. He found Jesus in the mid-70s and became an evangelical preacher. Oh. And he died in 2012. Hmm. Went to heaven, I assume. The People article glosses over a lot of things we now know more about. His divorce from Ronnie wasn't just messy. She had to escape. And barefoot, too. She had to... Someone was helping her escape, and they said, Don't put your shoes on. She said she was going, for walk, going to her room or something, then she snuck out. She said, If you put your shoes on, he's going to know you're leaving. According to interviews, she had to sneak out and run away. She could not take her children for fear of her life. Phil used to tell her there was a golden coffin in the basement, and the only way she would leave the house is in it. The three adopted boys... The first was Dante, who Phil wanted Ronnie to pretend was their biological baby. They adopted him in, I think, 69, maybe. The other two boys were twins. Phil adopted them on Christmas Day before she left. He presented them to Ronnie and said, Here, Merry Christmas. Weird. I know. What the fuck? It's weird that you could do an adoption like that. It must have been a real private type adoption. Mm, I guess so. Because it sounds just like baby buying. I know. Well like when an adoption ri- when, you're when you're rich the, enough an adoption where the mother or wife isn't involved and is surprised by I know. the kids uh, I was... she wasn't too thrilled it's I weird think. as shit yeah uh, the boys later would say that they were often locked in their rooms and they used to use a ventilation grate to talk to each other they were locked in their rooms all the time By so were... Phil yeah well, I'm saying is this after Ronnie was out of the house yes. Yeah, and one well, wonders- she left. They were babies. She the, right. when the twins. Well, one wonders how he got custody. Because she ran away. Yeah. I guess. He first of all, she because ran away and had nothing. Fuck. He was rich. Yeah. I mean, she abandoned them. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, she. It, he could afford to have lawyers, and she c- couldn't. I mean, he didn't. He was a millionaire. The people that sang for him had. They're still in lawsuits trying to get money. Right. He got all the money. He got all the money. Yeah. He would give them, you know, money for their session work and then, you know, whatever. In the mid to late 70s, Spectre produced the Ramones album End of the Century, Ah, which became their most commercially successful with hits like Rock and Roll High School and Do You Remember Rock and Roll Radio, but the Ramones chafed at Spectre's style, which was not surprising. The Ramones are kind of raw and spontaneous and messy. Uh, Phil had to listen and re listen and take and retake. Apparently, Joey had asked, Joey Ramone, had asked Phil to produce their album because they wanted a hit and they wanted a big name producer. According to one of the session musicians, that was not the Ramones. He was one of the ones that worked with Phil, said that Joey wanted Phil. Right. Phil said, if you want a big-name producer, go hire one. If you want Phil Spector, I'll consider it. Mm. But it was not a good fit. Johnny Ramone, there was a documentary called He's a Rebel, 1982 documentary, which I saw years ago, and I just rewatched on YouTube. But it was in, uh, like, nine parts, so, you know, you well, can watch it funny. on YouTube. Um, uh, Johnny didn't like the fact that he was a, such a perfectionist, and neither did Dee Dee. Uh, Joey and Marky didn't say anything in the interview. I well, saw. Well, punk rock is like the opposite of perfectionism. Yeah, I know. It, it is a weird combination. Yeah. But you know, if you it, the, the thing is, it's not like no one knew what Phil Spector yeah, was that's like. True. Uh, Dee Dee Ramone said uh, in this in this documentary, he's a rebel. That Phil kept him hostage for a couple of days at his home and pointed guns at him. <laughs> But in later years, Marky Ramone said that although Specter always had guns and was licensed to carry, he never saw him point a gun at anyone. Someone else in one of the documentaries, I can't remember, said that both Phil and Dee Dee were horrible people and couldn't be believed. So, (laughs) who knows? Another story that happened about 1980. I heard this story on a podcast, The Mystery Show, hosted by Starly Kind, which is in limbo right now. They were going to do a second season, you know, The Mystery Show, the one that, the Welcome Back, Cotter Lunchbox. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the Gimlet Productions dropped or something. So mm, well, they have bigger fish to fry yeah. now that they're. So the show was about the TV show Welcome Back, Cotter. Starley called Alan Sachs, the co-creator of the show, to ask him something. But before they talk about anything else, he tells her this story. So I'm going to read his story, even though it's kind of long, because he's it's a good story. And this is him. I'm gonna try to I'm not gonna do it in his voice. Okay. When you said we in the email and I responded to you who is we, it struck something that was really one of the interesting events in my life. I was held at gunpoint by Phil Spector for like five hours. Huh. When was this? It was nineteen eighty. I was producing this pilot for ABC and who better for me to get to do the music than Phil Spector. And I got him on the phone and he says, great, come over. So we set up a time, he and I. And the secretary calls me to confirm and she said, who's coming? And I said, I'm coming myself. And she says, okay, I'll tell Phil that. Come at 7.30. And she says, okay, I'll let Phil know that. Come at 7.30. But as I am leaving the office, the casting director is there and says, what are you you doing? Let's go get some Japanese food. I said, okay, let's do that, but I have to go to Phil Spector's house tonight. Why don't you take a ride with me? We'll go up there. We can listen to some music and go out to eat afterwards. We get in my car, start driving down the Sunset Strip, smoking a joint, listening to Dire Straits on the radio. Yeah. On the way to Phil Spector's house, very excited. So we get to the end of Sunset. He lives up a cul-de-sac on Beverly Hills. As we're getting closer, there's barbed wire, signs that say no trespassing, protected by Smith & Wesson. Press buzzer, gates open, drive my car and park it. We get out. Two dogs come charging at us. Oh my God. The door opens up and there's a guy standing in a karate a giant. <laughs> he says, hi, I am George and I'm Phil's man. Hi, George. I'm Alan. This is Kathy. Come on in. George closes the door and locks the key from the inside. Click, 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 and puts key in pocket. So I look at Kathy, and the only way I know we can get out of there is that George has to open the door. He brings us to a beautifully appointed living room. Tiffany shades, leather bomb books, leather chairs, pictures of Lennon, the Ramones, pictures of Ike and Tina Turner, the Righteous Brothers. And suddenly at the very far end of the room, this huge, huge room, we hear rustling. Then Phil Specter comes down, steps over, and he looks over at Kathy and I, and screams at the top of his lungs there are too many people here ah there's too many people in my house see he wasn't expecting kathy this is the we he's screaming too many people here i go no no wait it's just me and kathy and she works for me he goes running out he comes down about a half an hour later sits down at the coffee table shakes my hand and looks at me and says what are you doing here I said, you know what I'm doing here? I called you. We spoke on the phone. I want you to do the music for this pilot I'm doing. He says, no, no, no. You're here because you want to go back and tell people I drink too much. I take drugs and play with guns. With that, he stands up. He takes off his jacket and he's strapped with the biggest gun I've ever been in a room with in my life Mm -hmm. and now the gun comes out and I say put that shit away I gotta (laughs) get out of here and he said no 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 we are not ready to go yet and for the next six hours all sorts of waving gun around insanity he asked me if I knew karate he says come on I'll show you karate (laughs) and then he says do you like Leonard Cohen and I say I love Leonard Cohen he (laughs) says good I want to play you some tracks so now we have to go down and lay down in his music room and I'm on the floor he's on the floor Kathy is on the floor the gun is between us we have the headset on and we're listening to leonard cohen singing you like leonard cohen death of a Ladies' man that album i'm listening to tracks of death of a Ladies' man you know with specter and the gun between us because phil specter yeah he says come on i wrote music for you you wrote music for me are you kidding so we go to the piano room and he starts playing on the piano a dirge and i can't sing but it goes like We're all rock and rollers all trying to earn a living before the final curtain call. And the gun is on the piano, and you pick it up every once in a while and go, Ha, 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 come on, Alan, sing it with me. (laughs) We're all rock and rollers, rock and rollers all trying to earn a living before the final curtain call. Ha, 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 ha. (laughs) This went on for hours. till finally some guy who worked at the radio station working the lobster shift and was getting off and called Phil and said, Hey, I want to come by with this woman I'm with. Phil said, Yes, come on by. So when this guy came, we were able to scurry out of the room like kittens, and then we were gone. Next day, he sent me all sorts of gifts, Phil Spector cocktail napkins and a note that said, Hey, Al, I really had a swell time with you last night. Let's do it again soon. (laughs) The president of ABC said to me, Well, did you get Phil Spector to do the music? Does he want to do it? And I said, You know what? He does. But I'll tell you something, Marty. You have the next meeting with him because I am not. Uh-huh. So that's—I know that was a long story, but I like kind of that funny. story though. A 1989 People and magazine. That's the, and I want to say about that story—that makes me think Dee, Dee Ramone probably was telling the truth. I always, I, you know, when somebody says, "Oh, that is what that person is saying happened to them," isn't true because I never saw any evidence I know. of it ever happening. Because Marty, never Marky, happened to me. Marky Ramone was not there when that was happening. Right.
1: I think Johnny
0: was there. Anyways, a 1989 People magazine article talks about his controlling, possessive nature. 1974, it was all like, "Uh isn't he kind of funny? 1989 was when he got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He showed up there. He was wasted. But some of the people that knew him said, well, he really gets bad stage fright, which he did. That's why he ended up not being a performer. He started out as a performer, but his stage fright was really bad. So some of the people were like, well, he always used to drink and stuff because he was stage fright. Mm. But apparently it was a bizarre kind of thing. So People Magazine did an article where they kind of talked about his weirdness which Mm. they didn't really do in the 75 one so Sonny Bono was his assistant for three years in the early 60s. He learned a lot from Before him, too. Before Sonny was famous. And one documentary was talking about, and I can't remember, I saw several. There was tons of stuff on YouTube. And we will link to some of, oh, good. Uh, some yeah. of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Sonny Bono was his, for three years, was his assistant in, in the 63 to like 65, Speaking 66. of small controlling men. yes. What, Sonny? Yeah. But he was talented in his way, and he um, he learned a lot from Phil, I guess. But he, he said, he's quoted as saying, he would introvert and withdraw, and he didn't want to talk. You didn't talk, but that didn't mean you could leave. In this article, people finally recognized the true nature of his marriage to Ronnie Bennett and why they divorced. Because he was an insecure, controlling tyrant. Also in this article, D.D. Dee Dee Ramone recalled whenever he and his wife Vera visited Spector's house, so I guess he went back after, mm-hmm. they were frisked before entering. And he mentions the barbed wire and security cameras just like Alan uh, Sachs did. And his wife Vera said, he takes you down to the soundproof room. He makes you listen to all his greatest hits. Then he puts on a movie, turns it off in the middle, and puts on some more records. You're not allowed to leave until he wants you to, and he never wants you to. So why the fuck did they go there? I know. Latoya Jackson, in the same article, Mm -hmm. told a story where she went to his house to work on some songs. He invited her over. This was 1986. The lights were dim. There was chamber music playing. I sat alone in this room for two hours. Phil showed up and made her sit on a small piano bench with him. Then, she says, he wouldn't let me out of the house. I only got away by promising to come back the next day. I was really terrified. Another friend recalled in the article how Phil always had a gun on him and started wearing a gun to match his outfit each day. <laughs> he was banned from the Beverly Hills Hotel for life when he brandished a gun at a woman who said he had Brillo pad hair. <laughs> so I think we've established I love. I love the word pad. brandished. Uh, yeah, you're which going like he this, did, too. Uh, with the gun. Um, yeah. They can't see what you're doing with your hands. <laughs> well, they can imagine, because Brandish so, is so It evocative. seems like there's a pattern of behavior yes. here. Do you think? Yeah, there really is. So back to the crime, the murder of Lana Clarkson. But you have to wonder, he was obviously crazy as fucking shit, but people still seem to want to hang with him. Probably because he was so influential and yes, rich and yes. shit. Although he didn't and I don't I don't delve much into it in this, but he did not he didn't keep relationships up with people because he was fucking weird. They probably didn't want to be around him. So he his secretary when he got arrested was a different person than I would imagine it would be hard for him to keep help. This woman was devoted to him, Michelle. I have her name written down. Anyways, she's on the... There was a show I watched, Aphrodite Jones, Phil Spector, which actually had a lot of good information. Oh, I'll have to look for that. It's online. And they interview his secretary a lot and she had a lot of good things to say about the case i don't have a lot of it in my presentation but she had a lot of good background information on him and stuff and how he was to deal with she said it was like a five-year-old child he didn't understand like why it. people weren't coming out and standing up for him and she's like because you have it you don't really have any friends they're Aww. not your friends well it's his own fault he's fucking weird anyway back to the crime the murder of lana clarkson According to Phil, and look on YouTube to find some of his interviews, uh, his sec- he made his secretary take interviews of him. The story changes as he goes along. Lana Clarkson killed herself. He says the gun wasn't his. It wasn't registered to him. He had no motive. But this is a man who once said, women are all fucking cunts. They all deserve a bullet in their head. Well, there you go. And of course that was... also at least he had a good reason. That was brought up in court, of course. He did an interview with Esquire before his first trial saying that she kissed the gun. And of course the Daily News had to use that as their their headline. Yes, and how could they not? I know, she kissed the gun. So how did he get here? Tased, cops standing on his back to restrain him. <laughs> his rant at this time was recorded. The usual, do you know who I am? <laughs> I which, love that. Which I said the catchphrase of douchebags everywhere. Don't you know who I am? It's like, yes, I do know who you are. And, we're and you're anyways, a fucking douchebag. douchebag. <laughs> but he also says, this is what he says at, during his interrogation. Absolute fucking nonsense. She's a piece of shit, and I don't know what her fucking problem was, but she certainly had no right to come to my fucking castle, blow her fucking head open, and say that I murdered her. What the fuck is wrong with you people? By the way, this was either bleeped out on video or censored in front I'm, I'm just using yes. an educated guess. And what, as far as the fucking? Yes, so and- well... He also said the gun went off accidentally. She works at the House of Blues. It was a mistake. I'm sorry this happened. I don't know how it happened. It scared the shit out of me. Police said that Specter reeked of alcohol and was slurring his words. And he, he, it doesn't sound like he felt very bad that someone's if say for the sake of argument he didn't kill her. Yeah, and he doesn't sound like he feels bad that someone killed her. Right. Yeah, I know accidentally or on purpose the evening before started out as many others phil had a date at the grill on the alley a beverly hills restaurant He left his castle at about 7 p.m picked up his date they had dinner and he brought her home he went back to the grill to pick up his second date of the evening a server at that restaurant Ah. He brought a sec. He in a second date went to Trader Vic's for drinks, then they headed to Dan Tanna's, which always reminds me of it. And the show, what Vegas. 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 He, his was that Robert Urich. Yes. And the character he played was named Dan, Dan Tanna. Both places are where famous people hang out to see others and be seen a bit past midnight, he headed over to the House of Blues. And I'm assuming he brought his second date home because she isn't mentioned in this timeline. Now, I don't know what happened to the second date at this point. But can you imagine hers and the first date's relief after they heard about the murder? Oh, so neither of them were Lana. No, no. He headed up to the VIP lounge of the House of Blues. He was wasted on pills and booze lana clarkson a hostess thought he was a woman and called him (laughs) ma'am because his hair is all quaffed and he's little and he you know didn't he have something going on with wigs or something yes he wore wigs it was because of his car accident and he was losing hair he wore wigs all the time he was not pleased someone took her aside and let her know that he was actually not a lady but a very famous producer that would have been not to be like all people's looks matter and shit, but that would have been one fucking ugly woman Yeah, but you never know in L.A. That's true. And you can see how someone would think that because he dressed very extravagantly. He always had, like, his hair was super coiffed and puffy. Like, he wore different wigs. She made up for it by fawning over him all night, and he left her a $450 tip. Wow. So why would she kill herself after getting that tip? I know. At about 2.30, she finished her shift and went to her car. Maybe because she couldn't live with herself after being such a fucking funny no yeah, she had to no, do it all the time phil followed her and begged her to come to his castle just for one drink so she went the surveillance video shows her getting into his car on the way to the house she inspector watched the dvd kiss tomorrow goodbye the driver adriano de souza remember him mm-hmm. he thought they were getting along pretty well in the car laughing etc now for Lana, this probably seemed like a big break. She he here was a super connected guy she could hang out with and hopefully could help her. She had been in the business a long time, so I don't think she was naive. She knew how it worked. She knew how the business worked, especially someone like her. Yeah. How she, old was she again? She was forty. Yeah. Okay. Oh, she was forty. She was washed up. That's what they kept saying. The defense. Okay. Achy. She probably figured she could handle this weird little guy. Mm-hmm. She was tall, a lot taller and bigger than him. Uh-huh. And frankly, you don't expect a famous person to, to harm you you. Yeah. you don't i mean yes they do but you you figure it oh happens. this person's famous they're not going to do anything that's going to give them bad publicity right she, she, i don't think she she didn't really right. know who he was because you first. expect people to have a rational thought yeah. pattern even if they're acting nuts what the prosecutor hypothesized, they show a good demonstration on this show true crime with aphrodite jones phil specter they show like a computerized how it happened, how the murder happened that's on YouTube, as I said, is that Lana was leaving either Phil had tried to come onto her or he was simply creeping her out, and she needed to get away. Adriana the driver was in the car, standing by outside to bring her wherever home whenever she was ready. But Phil, as had happened so many times before, did not want her to leave. Experts at the trial hypothesized that based on the crime scene, she was backed up and he had a gun in her mouth when she was shot. She had her shoes on, she had her handbag on her shoulder, and she was in the foyer. She was trying to go home. I just want to say, just as a woman, if you're going to kill yourself, no matter how spontaneous it may be, and I don't think people very often spontaneously kill themselves, you don't have your handbag on your shoulder. I know, I mean, that is the universal female, I'm on the move. I'm leaving, I'm yes, coming, I'm going yes. to the ladies' room, blah, blah, blah. I talk about this a little bit later, but mm-hmm. but I saw the crime scene photo. It was bad. I mean, she's like slumped in a chair. Oh, the poor thing. This is some of what the investigators found on the scene. A Colt revolver under her leg, the victim's leg, no fingerprints at all on it. Hmm. A drawer partially open on a side table. Inside the drawer is a gun holster that matches the murder weapon. Hmm. Lana's blood on a door handle near the a door going up the stairs, on the banister, in the bathroom, on the inside of Phil's pants pocket. He said he tried to wipe the blood away from her face after, but I don't know why he would have. Blood spatter on the white jacket he was wearing that night, which was hanging in an upstairs closet. Hmm. They also found a ton of handguns, not surprisingly. Phil claimed to police that she had shot herself. And this was once he sobered up enough to figure out a story because he, I think not only did he say that to Adriano, he said something to the something to the cops that led them to believe he had done it. Yeah. And she was still alive and the police killed her because they spent their time restraining him instead of going in to help her. But an expert at trial said she probably died instantly. He says it in some of his rants too, his YouTube rants. Oh, she was alive for 40 minutes and they didn't go in and help her because they were so busy tasing me and blah, blah, blah. It's like, get over yourself. The first trial in the fall of 2007 ended in a hung jury. The trial centered on forensics and blood spatter and the defense attacked the Brazilian driver, Adriano Souza his grasp on the English language. They kept saying, oh, he probably thought Phil said, I think I killed somebody, but he really said something like somebody's been killed or some bullshit. Huh. But he, he I guess he did very well on the stand. What a load of crap. On the Aphrodite Jones show, one of the jurors said there was one juror who just would not accept the evidence. He kept saying, no one knows what really happened. And the rest of the jurors kept saying, yes, we do. The <laughs> evidence is showing it. There's always one. But it happened. ended up in a mistrial. It actually ended up 2 to 10 for guilty after 15 days of deliberation. And 10 like, guilty and 2 not yes. guilty. Yes. And the DA, um, whose name is Alan Jackson, but not the thing. Hey, not the singer he said he said you know what no matter what i did in that first trial that juror would not he didn't understand what he needed to do and he wasn't it had to be like there was no witness like that's what the juror wanted someone to tell him exactly what happened and you can't you have to the evidence has to you have to believe the evidence like a real bright bulb yeah I know and the guy that they the guy that they talked to, I don't know if he was the foreman or not, he said, Oh, I thought we were you know, after after the trial ended and we were going in to deliberate, I thought, Oh yeah, we won't be here very long. It's obviously guilty. He's no. obviously guilty. Huh? Huh. The second trial went from the fall of 2008 through April of 2009. And, as with the first trial, Phil's defense was that Lana Clarkson committed suicide. The defense painted her as a failed actress, despondent over her lack of fame and success. During the first trial, a friend, in quotation mark, of Lana's, her name was Punkin Punkin Pie Laughlin punkin p u n k i n I assume that was a made up name, I don't know, but like her parents didn't really name her that, oh our last name is Pi let's no name her, her pumpkin. pumpkin pie is her middle or punkin pie is her first name, and Laughlin is her last oh okay, i I thought her name was punkin Pi it's punkin maybe middle name Pi, oh, okay she testified that four or five days before her murder, Lana had said. I can't take it anymore. I want out. I'm done. I'm done. Somebody paid her off. But that that. could mean anything, too. Besides, if you're going to commit suicide, are you going to do it at a stranger's home? Are you going to say, gee, I bet there's a gun in one of these drawers and I'm going to find it and kill myself with it? Are you going to do it in the foyer on your way out? I highly doubt it. You're going to do it at home? Even if you were in someone else's house, you'd go into the bathroom or something. Right. Or you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't. It's ridiculous. It's just just not, it doesn't pass the street. Also, there isn't any evidence that she was totally despondent with her life or wanted to end it. She was having money issues, but who doesn't him? But she was forging ahead. And I got really, not just the trial coverage, because I don't, I'm not surprised the defense used that kind of defense against her. Because they always do shit like that. But the fact that every article I read painted her as a washed up forty year old. Oh, she was forty years old and blah blah blah. She was doing what she had. She was. And I think she wanted to be. Probably would have liked to hit it big. But I also think that she was doing what she liked to do. And she wasn't. I don't think she was really unhappy. I think she would have liked to have more fame and and was hoping for something better. But she was making a living as an actress. She was in tons of commercials. Right. She, she was in it ton- hit rock bottom. I think it does people women uh, a disservice when the thought of being quote-unquote washed up and blah 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 is enough to and everyone like that was friends with her like her even her landlady and stuff said she was a really nice person uh, and a lovely person and just to even the things that weren't negative against her were still kind of condescending about it and it it really pissed me off because I'm like she was doing a lot better than a lot of people in LA who were trying to make a living. She was actually making a living. You feel at like it. nobody really tried hard to find out who she was, but kind of she, grabbed at the ob- the obvious, like stereotypical yes. stuff. And I just and also well, one of the things the uh, the prosecutor said was she apparently she had bought like a bunch of shoes that day, and he's like, "Who's going to do that? If they're going to kill themselves." I just think it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous yeah. theory. Um in in the second trial one thing was different the judge allowed testimony about Phil Spector's past antics with guns antics now a lot of this was uh, had already been publicized over the years and you know i like i said i had seen that thing D. like when i first heard that he had been that someone died in his house i was not surprised i assumed he shot somebody because i had seen that vid- that years ago i saw that uh thing of the he's a rebel one because it was made in 82 i saw it on tv in the 90s about the ramones complaining that he held them hostage i had read about other stuff about stuff like that i'd read that people magazine article in 89 so it wasn't unheard of that he would hold people at gunpoint or creep people out in his house so it wasn't surprising but Anyways, a lot of the jurors, you know, on the first trial, who knows? But the second trial, <clears throat> five women testified being held at gunpoint huh. when they tried to leave his home. When the, pos- when the prosecutor, Alan Jackson, not the singer, gave the closing arguments, he saying, I want to go back to the, oh, what is that song? No, it's like, of- of- what's that song Alan Jackson sings? I can't <laughs> I don't <think>. know. <laughs> There's something about the... It gets hotter than a something. Uh, he showed the video clips of the testimony of each of the women saying things like, He pressed a gun to my head. He said he was going to blow my fucking brains out. Then he showed a video clip of Lana, alive and happy, and then a still of Specter miming holding a gun. Mm-hmm. He ended with a crime scene photograph of Lana, bloody and dead, in the white French reproduction chair. Specter was found guilty on April 2009 of murder... After 27 hours of deliberation, the first jury was 15 days of deliberation. Jesus Can you imagine? That's a long 15. trial, though. I mean, the second trial went for, there what, was, five months? Holy the shit. The first trial was seven months. He was sentenced to the maximum 19 years to life. He was 69 at the time he was convicted. It uh, was sentenced. Didn't he wear. I know I'm obsessed with Yes, he wore wigs. a bunch of wigs. Like different ones. If you're so like- interested, there's a freaking HBO movie where Al Pacino plays him that came out in 2013. But, but, uh, which but I didn't watch. I guess my memory of it, and this is one of the reasons I'm so obsessed. Is that he he it's not like, yes, he you're wore, wearing a wig like you wear the same no, all he time. wore a lots like, of different ones like a, that was a big deal, one. and they asked uh, someone asked his lawyer about that on one of the things I saw, and he said, well, we couldn't stop him, but I told him that I told him that he had to just pick one and stick with it. <laughs> his oh, okay. stupid wife quaffed him. so speaking of her, uh, during the time he was out on bail, he had gotten married to a young, obnoxious woman named Ra- Rachel. She was, <laughs> she was like 25 or 26. What a moron. Planning. The judge at that trial told her to keep her mouth shut or she would go to jail because she kept causing disruptions. They stayed married for about 10 years, but he filed for divorce last year because she was spending all his money, supposedly. <laughs> I don't know what he's worth. What's but- wrong with somebody who marries a fucking guy? Who killed somebody well if he's rich and you and you know he's probably going to go to jail so you're just you're rolling money. you're rolling the dice that he's going to go to jail and maybe die soon and she claimed they had sex all the time and it, then you know. um with his tiny prick oh uh, and then you're rolling the dice that that's all going to happen instead of him killing you well he did have other wives he didn't kill uh, he must be worth a lot of money though Here's the, here's the, here's um, the you know what, we th- probably have to pay no we don't not if we're listening to it in the background, oh really, here's are the you closing, sure, here's the closing <laughs> argument by the prosecutor, <laughs> I'm just gonna play for a second, okay, okay, there you uh, go, that's why they lost, when you have a closing statement like this, it, it gets hotter Good than a, than a hoochie, hoochie coochie, okay, he's probably worth, I'm sure he's worth many millions of dollars, I wonder who gets his money. So one documentary I saw I interviewed two of his sons, Dante and Gary, who's one of the Christmas twins. The other <laughs> the twin Christmas. is named Louis, and all three have the middle name Philip. Of course, they have a a, coincidence. ambivalent feelings about their dad. Poor, I feel now, so bad they, for them. How old would they have been when this happened? Because oh, they're adults. No, but when this happened, oh yeah, they would have been. They were adults. Yeah, because they they're, well, they must have grown up in a fucking weird house. Yes, they did. Phil had a girlfriend uh, after he divorced Ronnie that came in when they were little boys. Her name was Janice, and he had two, he had twins with her, a boy and a girl, and the boy died of leukemia when he was nine. The boy was Philip Jr., and the girl was Nicole Audrey, who must be in her. Twenty thirties now, and I don't know what's going on. The only ones they talked to were those two boys, Dante and Gary, and Gary especially seems very it was sad he wanted a father that he could look up to It's the same story as I don't know how many people you know he he wanted he loved his father, he wanted a father he didn't really have one. There's so much more to the story. And it's tragic in many ways. He was a shitty father, shitty husband, unable to have decent relationships with people. A lot of people interviewed said he had no friends. His son seemed like nice young men. but what a crappy childhood. I don't think Ronnie ever really recovered from being married to him. No. And I, I don't really believe he meant to shoot the gun into Lana's mouth. Maybe he did in the moment. But like I said, when I first heard the news about her murder, I was not surprised. Do you think he was just threatening her or yes. something and it just kind of happened? It's tragic that a nice, hard-working woman died because of a shithead creep like him. Yes, he's talented. And I can't say that when I was researching this, I didn't enjoy listening to all the songs. because I know, all the songs. Yeah. But no amount of talent excuses being an asshole waving a gun around. And like I said, what I think is maybe in the moment... He shot her. I don't think he was like, I'm going to kill her if she doesn't stay. But he did the same thing he always does. He's holding a gun on her. And it got carried away. And whatever, for whatever reason, he did kill her. And I think he deserves to be in jail. And I yeah, don't well, like it. Fuck him. Somebody died from a gun. He shot. At them, whatever his intentions were, you will never know. It's another thing where there were decades and decades and decades of red flags. I know. And nobody, everybody thought it was amusing or whatever. And some people were obviously frightened by him, but still hung out and shit. I know. And you wonder, how, how do people let that happen? It's not like he was some normal guy who suddenly this happened to. Money. The yeah, mixture of drugs, craziness, guns. Mm-hmm. Sooner or later, someone was gonna get their fucking a bullet in their I head. Know. I know. I was surprised it didn't. Have, that's what I said when I when that when I saw in the news a p- woman found dead in Phil Spector's home. I was like, yeah, yeah. probably. And yeah, the thing is, the like, in the second I mean, trial, five women testified he had. You know, and God only knows. And he's, right, like, and well, what? he's like, well, I didn't, like, in his self Right, his And I was going to say, video. and the reason they wouldn't go to the cops is because they're going to go to the cops, say Phil Spector held a gun to their head, and they're going to end up getting vilified yeah. or whatever. And you don't, it's very difficult, it's difficult as it is to make a police report, but to make it against a famous person, even someone who acts fucking crazy all the time. I know. And you wonder and how the hell it. he got custody they of just, those kids. I know she ran out of the house or whatever in the seventies were different than they are now. But here's a crazy gun waving drunk out old But he didn't wave them as much then. Yeah, I guess. That not. was before he waved the Yeah, guns. but but apparently nobody ever tried to get the kids away, right? No, 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 they did not. Yeah. No. I wonder if the fact that she was a black woman had something to do with it, too. I don't know. Although someone on YouTube said she wasn't black. She was Hispanic. Well, she was. She's African. It's perceptions. Yeah. You know. Whatever. Well, the little Dante was mixed ethnicity. So he told her to pretend Dante was theirs and um, not tell her family that she didn't. He, did she? or He told her to do that, but did she do that? Well, she... Yeah, I mean, kind of People something Magazine like, yeah. article they knew that kids were adopted. She said that when she went back to New York, they said, how are those labor pains uh-huh. and stuff? No, I don't know. She probably told them after the fact that he wasn't her right. her biological son. Uh, it's so sad. It is a sad story. And poor Lana. Lana, like she didn't even know him. Like when I first heard oh, yeah. it happened, I figured it was like a long domestic, time girlfriend yeah. or domestic thing. And the poor woman, I mean, this is the, her first experience. With I know, Phil she with hadn't Spector met him before. Someone said that he was a regular there at the House of Booze, but she, was new. she had just started working there. Yeah. And the thing is, too, that mm. you can probably anytime somebody gets shot in the head... Somebody can twist it around to make a case that person yeah. committed suicide no matter who the person is. But it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do it if you were going to, co- committing suicide to me is something that's, it's either going to be at your house, it's a private thing, or you might do it in public, but you're not going to do it at someone's house you don't even know. Right, it just a- spontaneously with their gun. And just happen to find a gun and be and, like, oh, I think you I'll do, kill myself. If you do, shoot yourself on purpose or accident at somebody's house, it's not because you were suicidal. Something else was going on. And so they try to make a case that she was suicidal. Yeah. And then, so you can't have it both ways. You can't have somebody, like, spontaneously shoot themselves because they were on drugs. I know. Or whatever. Or, oh, this person was despondent. You know, it's like... Well, that thing he said, she kissed the gun, made me think that maybe he was trying to make her kiss the gun. It may be or what? he or it's just some line from some stupid movie or something yeah maybe that's And but he was probably like shoving it in her mouth yeah. or whatever and trying to make her not leave and it, there's a reason people when he you know they said he wouldn't let me leave and yet part of you thinks well why don't you just get up and walk out of the fucking house there's a reason people didn't do that well and that's why I thought that story by Alan Sachs was interesting because and he might have embellished it who knows because he told this story after I mean he said it happened in 1980 but he told Starley kind the of story just a couple but years he, ago. Yeah, but, but still the fact that the, the guy locked the door behind them and stuff like that. I yeah. mean, with someone has a gun, you don't know what they're gonna do. That that story is so funny because it's so, in some ways, so startling and scary. But on the other hand, it's so like. L.A., how you I picture, know. like, L.A., like, the conversations they were having. And, Do you like Leonard Cohen? Yeah, and stuff. And the, uh, hey, you know, let's go, you know. It's so weird when a celebrity does something like that. Well, and then he was, like, he was telling his lawyers, oh, they got Robert Blake off, they got O.J. off. They're not going to convict me. And it's like, yeah, but you're not. I mean, Robert Blake, whatever, but you're not O.J. Yeah. And O.J., the reason O.J. got off had... Very little to do with the case and a lot to do with what was going on and in L.A. Had and to, race yeah. and and people's attitudes toward the police and how the police had treated people in L.A. over the decades and stuff. Phil Spector really didn't have any of no. that cultural force no. I- behind him. We'll link to some of the things I watched. The Aphrodite Jones one, I never watched her show much, but I found that she had a lot of information. And I, I really, the interview with, um, I think her name was Michelle... I wish I could remember her last name. The uh, secretary, her, she was his personal assistant. She had known him. It it didn't say how she knew him, but it said she had known him since she was young, since she was a child. So she must have been a family friend or something. I don't know. She was there for him twenty four seven when she, her job. So he called her. Actually, Adriano called her before he called 911. He called her and said something about Phil's killed somebody. And she's just like, what? And so it was like five in the morning. So she went over there and then he called 911. And Phil says he called 911. He never called 911. Wow. There are 12 phones in his house. He didn't call 911. Yeah. So if someone Shot shoots themselves, themselves in your house, what's the first fucking thing you yeah, do? I know. You call nine one one, or at least yell to the driver and, instead and, of walking and, like out with his, a gun in your hand, saying, "I think claims, I shot some, I right. think I killed somebody." And the claims that the police were not interested in reviving her by only restraining him—say that's true. At, at any time during that struggle with police, did he say, "She's still alive. Go help her. She's oh, still alive in there. Go help her." No. I didn't know. He well, that was said, a I, who hey. That I was am. that was that was a great story that you kind of pulled out of your butt at the last yeah, minute. I did. You did a nice job. I watched lots of stuff on TV. Okay. Well, luckily I had the day off yesterday. And of it's tonight. another week without Ask a Lawyer. So let's go, and we won't do the whole Matt lamentation thing. We're hoping to get that going him back soon. But we have our recommendations now. <laughs> So for recommendations today, you had mentioned Aphrodite Jones. Yeah. And I haven't watched much of her show, but it reminded me I had a conversation about her recently with someone else and the and the someone kind of dismissed her. The conversation actually has to do with the staircase, which we've never really talked about on this show. But I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with the whole staircase thing. Michael Peterson, the guy whose wife either fell or was pushed or whatever. You know, i have never married someone named Peterson because like I like to kill We should do Peterson's convicted of murder. Yes. There's Dale, Drew. there's Michael, and there's Drew. But in any case... There's probably many others we, we don't know about. Aphrodite Jones had written a book about that case. You know, there's that documentary by the French yes, film Yes, which is what I've which seen. Which is yeah. very sympathetic to him. And a lot of people think he was wrongly convicted. Her book brings up evidence... That was never, ever, ever discussed having to do with the insurance, having to do with the murder weapon, and other things having to do with her daughter as opposed to his kids, who the book relies heavily on for information. They're all adults. Her daughter was at Cornell when her mom died, and when her mom was killed. And The owl killed her. Sorry. Yeah, well, that whole owl thing, I don't even want to get into that. It's fucking ridiculous. But in any case... There's inconsistencies in the owl thing because I was listening to another podcast that was talking about that. And I, a, a podcast that was new that I was testing out to see if I liked and the first episode was about that. And I just had to stop listening because I'm like, it's, there's inconsistencies that nobody's even asking or addressing, but I digress. So I was talking to somebody about that book because they were talking about The Staircase. And it was actually somebody on another podcast that has talked about The Staircase. And she was very dismissive of Aphrodite Jones. They didn't totally crap on her, but they kind of dismissed what she had to say. I found her book on that staircase murder very well-researched and well-reported, and my feeling is if the stuff she brought up is bullshit, how come no- nobody's ever ever talks about it? I mean, I'm not saying it's bullshit like she made it up. I'm saying if you can dismiss that stuff as evidence It's just like Michael when we were Peterson. talking about those JonBenet documentaries right. that didn't talk about stuff. Right. If you If you're going to dismiss someone's is someone's argument that somebody's guilty then prove of something. It wrong, or something prove it wrong yeah. don't just don't just, just shit on it. a person and oh, yeah. i found her book and i can't remember i'm sorry cuz we didn't i didn't realize we'd be talking about this and neither did you but i found her book about the staircase murder very very well thoroughly researched and you know as a is a journalist as a journalist, <laughs> as a journalist <laughs> you know i look at how how well I think people put the facts, yes. or how well I think they report something, and I think she did a great job. And I feel like the filmmakers who did that long documentary of the staircase couldn't. They, it, it, it's like boy, it shows you how you can take one thing, yeah, and totally make someone look one way or the other. And her book was more well rounded. So I'm a fan of Aphrodite Jones, and the few times I've watched her show, well, I go like at her, her and- show. I admit I've never watched it. I don't think I ever thought of her as like Nancy Grace, but I think when someone has a show when someone has a name like aphrodite yeah you know. that that I think that's off putting not to, it's not her fault, but also she's a attractive looking woman, which isn't her fault either. It's easy to dismiss somebody who is looks good on t v and they're logo on their show has her like silhouette and you're like, uh, you know, I just started watching it cause I was watching everything I could while I was typing, you know, I was reading stuff too, but I, I watched her, um, and I watched it twice cause they did, they had more information than a lot of the other stuff I read and it was helpful to see it. And her, the computer generated reenactment of what they thought happened was really helpful. And her interviews with, she interviewed um, people that I hadn't seen interviewed before on the other documentaries, because the other ones I watched were mainly about him, about Phil Spector. Some of them were about the crime, but they they were more sensationalized and talked, of course, as far as I'm concerned, they all did a disservice to the victim and they played up his weirdness. But I thought that the interview with his personal assistant was extremely helpful to understand what was going on. And I also feel like Aphrodite, she asked really good questions, logical questions and not the stupid, I don't know... Some of the questions they ask Tandering on like Dateline in forty eight yeah. hours are just so stupid and how they're the type of questions. Well, how did it feel to blah blah blah? It's like that doesn't even answer the fucking question. It's not a question. Well, just, it, we one, want to know one, fast. Th- one thing about questions like that is they're designed to elicit a certain kind of sensationalistic reaction, and they don't. It's an emotional reaction or trite, yeah. you know, utterings by people instead of to get information or interesting facts and stuff and that's one of the the big issues i have like i think 48 hours not to go on a tangent about them has become much more sensationalistic and less journalistic than it used to be i'm a little disappointed in it but she was a she was a crime reporter and she she covered for Fox News, but still, and she covered Scott Peterson's trial, Michael Jackson's trial. Well, maybe that's why I know her. Maybe that's why I had a bad. And you know, frankly, if you're a reporter, she, and she started with um, United Features Syndicate, which oh, we... is a was a print reporting. I don't know if it's still around that covers Hollywood and stuff. She was she she went to UCLA. She was a celebrity beat reporter, which is a thing. She taught English at Cumberland College in Williamsburg, Kentucky. And published a book, The FBI Killer, about Mark Putnam, who was the first active FBI agent convicted of homicide. Ooh. And it was actually the source material for the 1994 made-for-TV film, Betrayed by Love, starring Patricia Arquette and Stephen Weber. I think I yeah. saw that. And she, Cruel Sacrifice, um, chronicled the 1990 m- murder of Indiana teenager Chandra Shire by four other teenage girls. Ooh. And it cost her her job as a college professor, because Cumberland College was a conservative Baptist institution. Ooh. By the way, I'm getting this off um, Wikipedia. And that was on the New York Times Best Seller list. All she wanted about Brandon Tina... Oh, Rape wow. and murder yeah, in nineteen ninety three, which yeah, they yeah. made the movie Boys Don't yeah. Cry About with Hilary Swank, which oh. I really which was a really good movie So Hillary's, She she must so she have She's chops. been around. And and I think you a know, Perfect Husband was her book about Michael Peterson, by the way. Uh, so she did two of the three Petersons. Well, she needs to she she can do Drew next. Yeah, she should. She could but do the she, Peterson. How trifecta. old is she? Because she looks She's older good. than me. She was born in fifty eight. Oh. She does look better than me. But then again, she lives in L.A. And, you know, I feel like, especially as a woman, it's unfair to judge someone for their looks, whether they're good-looking or not good-looking, because, frankly... If you're oh, good... all you want, attractive women always say that. I know. <laughs> if you're a good-looking woman, so lo- if you're good-looking re- and and good at reporting, you're probably going to end up on TV. I mean, she, you know, I can't blame her. There and are I, there are attractive female print reporters. I know, but I'm just saying, if you're, who I'm don't just end up saying. On TV. I know, I know but what you're saying. What I'm saying is, you know. I never wanted to go on TV, even because, though they begged you. Even though they begged me, because I felt like well, part of it is not only am I incredibly attractive, but I have a voice for TV, as I you can know. see. They said we have to get that yeah. voice on the air, but but because no, but seriously, I always felt when I was a reporter, watching the TV reporters, they had to spend as much time worrying about how they looked and technical yeah. things and stuff. And I mean, this isn't a criticism of them at all, as they did about reporting and i felt like it's it's very distracting when you have to have like makeup and stuff and make sure your clothes are right and stuff and you can't dress say you're going out like in maine especially you're going out into the woods or the fields or some remote place for some fire or murder or something and but you have to look nice for tv i know it's silly. you know it's So, Aphrodite Jones. I think we're saying. Uh, Yeah, probably. No, I watch her more now, and I'm going to read more of her books too. I I don't think I've ever seen her show before. I've heard of her. I think soon, probably sooner rather than later, we may do a Peterson, a Peterson trio. Trio. Although Although I'm so sick of the staircase. I'm I'm so fucking sick of the staircase. And it's been covered so much. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe we won't. But. Maybe we'll wait, and all, all of them though. But you know that Drew Peterson, the cop one, he's a, he's, he's he he well he did a few people. Well, oh, Michael yeah, may have I done know. more than one too. And Scott, he only did one, but he also did the baby. and, and yeah, I know it was a mom that affects you. So he kind of did too. But anyway, so that was a fun that yeah. was a fun podcast today, and we'll have another one next week for You're do. Yeah. Do you know what you're gonna do yet? No. No. I think I'm gonna. I might. I might. I'm I thinking, may know, but I, I I haven't thought much about it. But I, when I was trying to think of ideas to do stuff, there's a couple things that I might go back in the past a, a ways for some of them because sometimes that's fun. And also, you know, our original, we didn't really... It's easier to keep it lighthearted if it's 100 years ago. Yeah, it is. But we didn't really have a real original premise for this podcast, but we felt we needed to have some kind of reason or hook or something. So originally it was kind of, we're going to take stuff in the news and tell you more about it. But I think we can also take anything and tell you more about it. Yeah. Not that we're doing these in-depth reports, but that we. I don't always like to say. I, I try to do, avoid doing murder all the time, but it's sometimes it's it's hard, yeah, to, it's find hard to find something. stuff that's that interesting that's not murder or that ha- there's enough information. on Yes, that's true too, but and the, and that's one reason it's hard to go in the past because. The internet makes it so easy to find information. The kind of research you have to do to do stuff in the pre-internet, you know, before the 90s. Although People Magazine has pretty good archives if they had... to do. Yeah. And also I was going to go to the Maine State Library and look up some stuff. So maybe I'll do...
1: Um, yeah, I think
0: that we do Maine-related stuff better than anybody else that I know of, don't we? So maybe well, I'll think of. I don't know reason. of any other Maine podcasts. So no. Well, there was. Speaking remember, of Maine history, Neil Rold died. Oh wow! Yeah, I do. He was. He ran for senator. He was in the state rep. He he was a Maine historian too. He here's, wrote a lot about. Here's history. my connection to Neil Rold. If it's the elder one, yeah. He was in eighty Yes, okay. Yeah. When I was in when I was a sophomore in high school, I think, or a junior, I won an essay contest sponsored by the Oddfellows and Rebecca's, What the UN Means to Me. And there were about ten kids in Maine from various districts that won it and his son was one of them. Ah. And the ten of us got to go to the UN We got to go to New York City for a few days. It was fun. We went to the U.N. We went to the Empire State Building. We were walking down the street in front of the Empire State Building the first night there, and I heard somebody yell, Hey, Momo! And I looked, and it was my cousin Christine Rossi walking down the street. Oh, that's so weird! And this was in New York City. And another thing we went to did a she worked she worked at the she one worked, that, yeah she was Yeah, she worked somewhere but this yeah. wasn't from the Empire State oh, Building. So weird. We also went to a diner and Jimmy Breslin was oh, yes. sitting nearby and none of the other kids knew who Jimmy Breslin was. Well, it would not So that, that was my first big wouldn't. trip to New York City. He just died recently, didn't he? Yes, he did. And they were still building the World Trade Center. Ah. And my impression of it or it may have just opened. I can't remember this would. this was 1976. Hmm. So we took the Staten Island Ferry, we, we we went to the Statue of Liberty, and I remember looking at it and thinking how it felt like those big towers were going to just wait down that end of Manhattan and make it sink. It was a weird Aww. feeling. You know what's funny is you think about what the UN means to me. If you if you tried to have... My like, thing was so bullshit. It was if just you had bullshit. to write an essay... If, I wish I could find it. it was very if, short. I If read they it had it. that as a contest today, there'd be all these freaking right-winger people... Mine was very lefty. Well, I remember yeah, quoting it was Franklin like Roosevelt. Yeah, it was about. But you now know, it's one like big the UN world. is horrible and blah blah blah. I don't know if that would win though. It's also the first <laughs> time I had cantaloupe because I had to stay overnight in Portland. Really? we lived in Augusta at the time, and I'd stay overnight in Portland with this very nice couple. Who gave me cantaloupe the next day? But we used to have cantaloupe because I didn't, I like would never, watchers. I oh. would never eat it. But I wanted to be polite. Uh-huh. So I ate the cantaloupe and I'm like, what the, why have I not been eating this? It was also the first time I had coffee because weirdly at our hotel they served us coffee. <laughs> and I had tried coffee once before when we were camping, me and Billy, and it was instant coffee and we both like looked Ugh. at each other and dumped it out. But I'm like, wow. My time had come as far as coffee went, so that was wow. a big weekend for me. And Neil Roll Jr. was on that trip. There was also I'm remembering a little boy, little boy, a kid my age from the Augusta area, very sweet blonde kid who was in the Maine Youth Center and had written his essay in the Maine Youth Center yeah. and had just gotten out and was at a halfway house. And he and I had to go later to collect our $10 prize and he stole yours at the no <laughs> and read our <laughs> and read our essays at the the uh, Calumet Club in ah. Augusta, where the odd Fellows met. And he was so shy, and he had difficulty reading. And I went with my mom and dad. He went with um, a social worker, and his grandfather came. Ah. And I felt very bad for him, and he was this blonde kid. I can't remember his name. And don't remember what happened to him. That wasn't Neil Roll Jr. He's Neil Roll Jr. Of our state. Was, yes. No, he's not. <laughs> Neil Rold Jr. was a was from York County and they were well. Yeah, they're too. from York yeah, they're from Kennebunk or something. So and if... I wish I could find that photo. I think it's stuck in one of my high school yearbooks back up at my house. I wonder if he remembers you. I doubt it very much. I was not memorable. Well, I was, but probably not in a good way. Yeah, but still. It's very mouthy. Yeah. Now, unlike I am now. I wasn't it wasn't like I was some. Va 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 boom! high school. Yeah, but that Co-ic. doesn't mean he wouldn't remember you. He probably true. remember that mouthy girl with the Right with the long. With and the I braids. think I bought a cowboy hat somewhere and was wearing it and, and everybody <laughs> thought I was weird. I was a weird kid. That's, so what? We're all weird. But we digress. We're ourselves. Okay. Well anyway, so we will post gonna, some links in the so, so, on our on our website which is On our More Stuff page. Yes, on the more stuff crime and stuff online. yeah. and I noticed that on my Facebook art page has, gets many views every day. Yes, well, maybe you should put from, some more stuff on there. Uh, I, I don't know. have time to do any. So anyways, um, crime and com. We're also on Facebook, Crime, crime and, and stuff. stuff. You can follow us on Twitter. We'd love it if you follow us you on And you can Twitter. like us on Facebook. And you can like... And you know what? By the time this goes up, we're also going to have an Instagram account. Oh! We're going to put some photos from the stuff we talk about in some of our photos. <laughs> and you can donate. If you go to Crime and Stuff Online, there's a button to donate on yeah. Patreon. Patreon. Patreon and one on um, PayPal. PayPal. So PayPal would be and a one-time. And like us and review us on iTunes. Seriously, yes, if you like us, just go on there. You don't have to be Shakespeare to write a review. Uh, you just, don't even have just to. Just write something and review because it really helps other people see our, that our show is yeah, there. Yeah, share us with the rest of the world. Yeah, I know you want us all to yourself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, worry, you'll still be everybody. special to you us.
0: still will, the three or four of you out there. No, we actually have a lot of listeners. All so, over the world. All over the world we love looking because we on our blueberry on our and and that's right and if you're interested in checking out podcasting for yourself or if you podcast and we have a link want on. a good hosting site you can switch go through our link to blueberry and check blueberry out we love our i love like blueberry it's great it costs us at, 12 dollars a month i like to see where they're from and that you can either see a list but you can also see a map you, we love the map because yeah. it shows different they states. Show a, they show the state and they and show a world map. And what's wrong with you, New Hampshire? You know, we, we expect, I think the states we don't have any downloads from, which isn't really the same as... Hawaii. Ma- as Hawaii and Montana. Yeah. But New Hampshire, I mean, we have, I mean, California and Texas love us for yeah. whatever reason. Some other states are way up there. Pennsylvania, we got a big boost recently, but New Hampshire, I'm not gonna say, you know. I don't know but I don't start, know how it works. Start walking the talk, baby. So, in any case, I guess that's this week. Yeah, that's and it. And next week, we'll have something really exciting. It will be really here. exciting, I promise. But we've got to, yeah. And I, I, we really have to go because I, those pancakes are going right. See, ya. Bye bye. Bye bye. The Chattahoochee. The Chattahoochee, yeah. It gets hotter than a hoochie coochie. Or yeah, something right. like that. I don't know what that really means. We'll have to ask Alan Jackson, the, not the lawyer, the singer. I'm sure he listens. They both do. Okay, this song is—is uh, is he gonna sing? That's mm-hmm. the opening. Well, okay, you should have started in the middle. And what does the chat? We got a crazy, but we never got caught. Okay, can won't we stop it? We can stop it. <laughs> Make it stop. Oh my god. Oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> Kabim, I Kabimi's gripping the I can't, man. If it's an hour 29, I'll never get back. <laughs> You're just stop it. I don't want to hear it.